impact mapping is one of those tools that allows a bunch of stakeholders, including the teams that are responsible for building the thing, to come together and have a, a, a good conversation um, that refocuses not on what are the most important things for certain stakeholders to build, but in fact, what are the biggest problems that we need to solve to drive new outcomes that help us achieve our strategic goals for our organization? Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Will Evans is here today. Will, thank you for taking time out of your afternoon. Well, thank you very much, Dave. Um, we're going to talk about impact mapping and some related kind of aspects of that topic. But before we jump into that, Will, can you explain to the folks that are listening kind of what your background is and what you're doing while you're working at Leading Agile? Absolutely. So I actually got started in technology, specifically software, about 25 years ago. And spent the better part of two decades really focused on user experience design, that is designing really great products that solve customers' problems for which they're willing to pay us money. Um, I did a combination of both enterprise software development as well as I worked in a few startups. And um, along the way, I, I picked up in a, a number of different tools and methods that I found to be pretty effective in, in helping to design better products that solve customers' problems. Um, but I also got really into the process of design. Um, that is trying to find ways to improve all the steps that it takes to actually deliver working test software to our customers. And uh, that's where I, I um, became familiar with and then started practicing user experience design in the context of the agile development methodology. And um, I found some things work really well, some things don't work so well, um, but I usually take a pretty pragmatic approach to that. And then uh, a few years ago, I reached out to Dennis Stevens and, and I had known him for quite a few years and thought that I might make a change and decided to come work at Leading Agile and I've been focused mostly on, on transformation efforts. That is uh, uh, restructuring and redesigning organizations so that they're focused on delivering value, they're creating a culture of continuous experimentation and continuous discovery and they're really focused on building the right things, building things uh, the right way and ensuring that, that customers are happy with the, with the outcomes that we're trying to drive towards. I've had a really great time since I've been at Leading Agile. There's phenomenal people doing really exciting things with organizations that really are trying to um, find different ways of working um, and ensuring that they are, are building um, not just products that, that their customers love, but also building a future for themselves, ensuring that they're here for the long haul. Um, because as we've seen over the last 30 years, not a lot of companies can say that. Okay, so before we before we talk about impact mapping, I because of your background, I have a design related question I'd like to ask you. Um, when I, you know, when I'm teaching classes, when I'm you know working with with people that are going through transformation, they all think about software and how agile is going to change that. How we talk about how it's going to change things at the management level, how it affects everybody at the PMO level and the middle management level. But what about for people from a design background? Are there specific things that you think? they might not be aware of coming into, into an agile way of working that you wish that they knew, like out of the gate? I think there's been a lot of challenges really over the last 15 to 20 years. Um, and designers, as much as anybody, want to focus on doing the right thing. 
That is, um, there's a great quote by Ash Moira that says, life is too short to build things that nobody wants. And I think designers as much as agilists or as much as engineers want to spend time doing the right thing. That is making an impact, um, building, designing, creating, shipping stuff that moves the needle, makes their company more profitable, makes customers' lives better. Um, and oftentimes we adopt practices to protect ourselves, especially when we're in unsafe environments um, or in, if we're in organizations that have poor management systems in place. And one of the things that I think we need to unlearn um, is that we focus way too much time thinking that we can create the perfect design okay, without any input from either the marketplace or for our customers. And we believe that if we spend enough time really honing our craft that we will be able to design the perfect product and that only after we have shipped it can we receive that feedback. And, and, and a key piece of, of Agile is the notion that we can't know it all. Yeah. In fact, only by like participating in a conversation with our customers can we learn how to design better products. And the only way to, to really properly do that is to design something small, hopefully useful, that solves a real problem, and then immediately uh, put that in front of a customer and get feedback from it. Now, you know, a lot of designers out there would be like, yeah, absolutely, Will, that's totally the case. We, we absolutely believe in that. But when it comes down to the actual practice of design, you'll see things like two to three months worth of discovery work and then two to three months worth of design work before anybody else on the team, whether it's engineers or testers or uh, product people, even get to see what is happening. Yeah, and I think it really comes back to something that, you know, one of my coworkers, um, who you know, and you've interviewed, uh, Scott Selhorst, talks about quite a bit, which is, when do you want to learn? Do you want to wait until the product is completely done and completely engineered and completely tested, and then wait maybe as much as two to three years before you want to learn whether you're moving in the right direction? Or do you want to learn as soon as possible, whether you're off track or on track? Yeah. So that when is just as important as what. So what you're learning is important and what you're building is important. But when you're learning, whether or not you're building the right thing is just as important, um, especially when it comes to, you know, the amount of time, energy, effort, resources, heart and soul that we're investing in the things that we're building for our customers. So do you think it's fair to say that um, from a design background, like somebody, I, I can see where they would say, I need to have this much stuff before I can design, you know, whatever it is, the, the page or the, the first right. interface, or the whatever. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, I need and to see all the requirements up front before I can have a vision for what this product might be at some right. point. So there's a natural tension that we're playing with here where it should be, yeah, you want all that stuff, but can you do it with just a little bit? Like how much, how far back can we, can we, or how, or how much earlier can we push the learning so that we can make sure we're taking steps in the right direction? Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think part of that is really um, inculcating in the team or the organization and understanding that it's really at the end of the day about economic trade-off decisions. Okay. Um, and whether we're designers or engineers or product owners, we're making trade-off decisions about how to invest in our company's resources, which are very limited, um, in the things that are ha going to have the greatest impact, that is, they're going to deliver the greatest value to the customer with the, with the smallest investment of time, energy, and resources required to get that, either that learning or the earnings. Okay, cool. Thank you. Um, I appreciate you indulging that question. Um, 
Okay, so we're going to talk about impact mapping, um, which I've done a lot of interviews with folks at Leading Edge where we talk about impact mapping, but I don't think we've ever really gone into what it is, why we need it, how it works. So that's what we're going to try to focus on today. So for somebody who's not familiar with it or who's only heard the words used in sentences but never really seen the results of it, how would you explain what impact mapping is? So... At its simplest, impact mapping is really a, a tool, really a thinking tool for collaborative sense-making. And what I mean by collaborative sense-making is it's a tool that allows a group of people to make sense of their world so that they can take some action, whatever that action might be. But at the end of the day, when it comes to product ownership and product design, it's about what are the things that we're going to build so that we can achieve some kind of a desired outcome or achieve our, our business goals so that we can survive and grow as, a, as an organization. Um, impact mapping allows for those kinds of conversations to happen where we're talking about not just what are the things we're going to build, which is usually captured inside of a backlog, but why we're building those things, what problems we're trying to solve for our customers, which will lead to what kind of changes in their behavior, which hopefully will deliver new outcomes or different outcomes. Um, and so I've found that impact mapping can be incredibly useful in doing one of two things, either ensuring when we are figuring out where we're going to compete in the marketplace, what are the most valuable or important things that we should be building to either learn or earn, um, or the second thing that impact mapping can be really valuable for is say you have a massive backlog, you know, with a couple of years worth of either features that you want to build or projects that you need to fund. How do you know which are the ones to focus on first? And okay. do you have a mechanism, some kind of framework where people can get together and have a reasonable and rational a discussion about what are the things we're going to focus on because oftentimes you know trade-off decisions are made inside of organizations the question is how are they made and who is making them impact mapping is one of those tools that allows a bunch of stakeholders including the teams that are responsible for building the thing to come together and have a a, a good conversation um, that refocuses not on what are the most important things for certain stakeholders to build, but in fact, what are the biggest problems that we need to solve to drive new outcomes that help us achieve our strategic goals for our organization? So okay. it, it fundamentally changes the, the nature of the conversation that stakeholders are having in a room with the teams that are building uh, products to ship to their customers. Okay, so if we start out with, um, you said reasonable and um, I think you said rational. Right conversations, but it's all still based on assumption, right? I mean, if we're trying to answer that first why question, aren't we assuming that, that, that our answers are correct? I mean, don't we, how do we know? Exactly. Or is that the whole point? Okay, that's the point. And, and, and what is the nature of our knowing, which I think is an important conversation to have as well. Um, a key part of it, it, like what you brought up is absolutely correct. What we've noticed within most organizations is that trade-off decisions are happening, right? Um, and trade-off decisions are being made based on assumptions. Unfortunately, the assumptions that I may have about why I would prioritize doing some work over other work may be fundamentally different than the assumptions that Dave Pryor has about okay. doing one thing over another. 
So wouldn't it be helpful if at least we made all of our assumptions visible and we, as a group, were able to challenge the, the probability that any one of those assumptions is correct or not? And impact mapping allows us to actually do that because not only are we um, visualizing um, a causal link between our goals, our desired outcomes, the people that uh, are part of the system, as well as the problems that they're trying to overcome, uh, the behavior changes that we're seeking to address, and the things we are hoping to build. Not only are we, we, we um, visualizing that causal tree between the things we build and the, the outcomes that we're, we're searching for, but we're also making very visible the underlying assumptions between each one of those causal links. And okay. that I found is really helpful. And, and some of these tools, um, and they come from a number of different places, but it reminds me the most of a, a totally different tool that comes from a different tradition, which is theory constraints. Um, and one of the tools in there is called the evaporating cloud. All the evaporating cloud is, is a, a visual tool where two people can come together and they can visualize um, what are their different desires or their different needs, what are their different wants, how are those things associated and whether or not they can find common ground in a, in a shared outcome that both people are working towards. By surfacing the causal uh, connections between each of those elements, you're able to then visualize what are the underlying assumptions and then you and I can at least have a conversation about whether or not those assumptions are valid or not which will allow us to at least align towards a shared understanding of what our outcome is. And then we can have a conversation about which needs are actually in conflict or are they congruent? And I think those are always useful to have because, you know, it's one of those things Jeff Patton says, you know, the biggest challenge oftentimes um, is that people, I, I would say, outsource to artifacts things that really should happen over conversation. Okay. So can I... Can I back it up a little bit and see if I can, I want to say it back and see if I have it straight. Absolutely. Okay? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to need some kind of big wall surface or something like that, ideally, where we can visual, like you said, visualize this, drawing it up on a whiteboard, say, um, maybe using postage or something like that. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that this is as much about creating visibility into the different things that we're thinking as it is about coming up with what the answer is at the end, because I need to see your thought process for what you think the solution is and, and mine as well. And this is kind of like slowing the pitch down a little bit saying, you know, here's the thing we want at the end. Here's who I think we have to address, you know, how we're going to fix their world and what we can do to make that happen. I've jumped through those. Most people jump through those steps in their heads. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we're trying to slow that down. You know, maybe you are Steve Jobs, but let's talk through it anyway and figure out if this is the right path. Right. And, and I think two words that I hear said over and over again by people that do organizational design, whether it's myself or I hear Dennis Stevens say this um, time and time again, um, design is really about the intentional creation of a purposeful system. And the two words that matter most there are intentional and purposeful. And so if we think about what are the real underlying mechanics of product design or product ownership, it really is, are you intentionally making trade-off decisions about how you're going to invest your firm's capital for future growth? Um, in things that are likely to move the needle, or are you not? 
And this is where impact mapping does in fact slow things down a little bit so that we all can externalize our thought processes, visualize the causal links between the things we're building, the problems we're trying to solve, the behavior changes we wish to see and the desired outcomes. Um, are we visualizing that? Are we having meaningful conversations that challenge that? Are we surfacing our assumptions? And are we actually prioritizing the work based on the things that we believe will actually allow us to um, achieve different outcomes than what we had in the past? Okay. So you could use this as easily for designing a product as you could for talking about an, a transformation effort in an organization. You're talking about designing a system that's going to support Agile. You could use this as well, correct? Absolutely. So I like to think about it. There's, there's really three levels here. Okay. Um, and I like to start at the, the most granular. That is, how do we know that we're, we're prioritizing the right features to build this sprint? Are, are, we, are we choosing the right features to build in this sprint that we believe are going to solve problems that are going to drive towards different behaviors and lead to different actions? Okay, that's, that's great on one level. One level above that, from when you're looking across a portfolio of multiple potential investment bets that you can make, are you investing in the things that are either most likely to generate positive returns in the future, or are you investing in things that are most likely to consume uncertainty and to give us more knowledge so that we can make better trade-off decisions in the future. So that's really the second level, one level up. And then the third is really, are you investing in the things that are going to change your system? That is your, so now you're talking about transformational investments in things that will change the system such that it is able to realize value sooner. Okay. So you've mentioned investment a number of times, and I'm wondering, is this, um, I'm sort of coming to the understanding that this is not as much about making sure like we're spending the money on the exact right thing, but gaining clarity on why we're making the choices we're making and making sure we have alignment in this is the, the best decision for all of us for what we're trying to achieve and how we're trying to get there. Like this is, this is where we want to put the money for right now. And we have assumptions. We're going to use this money to test those assumptions. Absolutely. And here's the thing. You can never go into an investment decision with perfect knowledge. And in fact, opportunities arise within a capitalist or a market system through information asymmetries. So it's actually a good thing that you can't have perfect information. The question is, how can you consume enough uncertainty and so that you're learning just enough that you can make a number of different bets, some of which are likely to produce decent returns, others of which may produce asymmetric outcomes, right? You may invest okay. a very little to get a massive return, but just as likely you probably are going to invest in a number of things that are going to yield nothing. Now, the difference in this thinking, and I think, you know, we, we do it relatively better than most organizations, that is the folks at Leading Agile, in constantly coming back to this notion that at the end of the day, it's really about economic trade-off decisions. A lot, of, a lot of times people think it's about great design or great product ownership or phenomenal engineering. And those things are all really important, but they're not the thing. Um, okay. Ultimately, organizations are economic engines that are investing capital from the past, earned in the past, to ensure that it exists in the future. Um, 
And the thing is, is whether we're talking about individuals or teams or organizations, um, resources aren't infinite. Um, and, and, and it all really comes back to economics. Um, the way I like to think about it is if, if you think about economics um, as the study of how people make choices under conditions of scarcity, impact mapping is just a tool that allows us to visualize and create a shared understanding of what are the kinds of trade-off decisions or, or economic choices that we're making. Are we making the ones with the best information we have today? And what are we going to do if we're wrong? And I think that's a great starting point. You know, okay. So I want to interrupt there for a second and ask a question. So when we when when I talk with people about you know using agile to deliver work in their companies, it's always like, well, he's going to make the decisions about prioritization because this person said what the vision was, and we have to get this person or this team to deliver the work based on the prioritization that meets the vision. And the way that you're talking about it, it sounds like there almost needs to be another role who has this sort of meta-observational approach to helping the group of people understand these are the choices you're making and why you seem to be making them and how you're making them. And here's some things to think about when you make your next set of decisions. Right. So I think when it comes to kind of that observational level, that is really when we redesign an organization, we put in place multiple tiers where different different kinds of decisions are made at each tier within the organization. Um, at one level, we're, we're just focused on what are the opportunities or problems that we notice within the marketplace for which we could reasonably uh, create a solution which may solve that problem and allow us to ca capture that market segment. So it's really around what problems are we trying to solve for our customers and do they have that problem? Are they willing to spend money for us to solve it for them? The next level down below that is what are we building that are solving those problems? And, and that we really tackle at the, at the program level or sometimes called the product tier level where we're making a trade-off between different things that we could potentially build. And okay. then at the lowest level, we're really making trade-off decisions around what are the user goals that we're trying to, to solve for. Um, and that's really at the user story level. But at the top, either at the investment tier or the portfolio tier, we're really trying to make um, economic trade-off decisions around where are we going to compete in the marketplace? What problems are we going to solve? And is there an exploitable, differentiated position we can take within the marketplace? And those actually require um, some thought. We can't just place guesses there. Um, we have to think intentionally about, well, do those problems exist? How are they currently solved in the marketplace? Are there substitution good, uh, goods available to customers um, that they're willing to hire to solve those problems? Or we, can we produce something that will solve for that problem that will lead to a behavior change and drive different outcomes or not? Um, and so that, that whole portfolio level is really concerned about what our strategy is um, for optimizing for investment decisions um, to invest in the things that are actually gonna drive different outcomes. Um, and some of the thinking really comes down to, um, if we want different outcomes, right? we're going to need to drive different types of actions or take different kinds of actions. If we want the exact same outcomes as we got last year, then obviously there's a, a good bet to be made that doing the exact same thing as we did last year will drive the same kinds of outcomes. But if we want different outcomes, we're probably going to have to have, take different actions. And those actions are all kind of framed, modulated, influenced by 
um, our surrounding conditions, the environment in which we're operating, um, our mood, our habits, our intention, all of those things. It's really very complex. And what impact mapping allows us to do is kind of lay it all out so that we can then have a good conversation that challenges some of those assumptions and we can at least come up with a shared understanding of what we believe are the most important things that a team should be working on over some period of time to deliver on those desired outcomes. Okay. So in the same way that we might, I want to see if this holds together. I'm not sure if it's going to, I'm going to say it out loud and see if it <laughs> works. In the same way that we might take something like what we would consider to be an epic, something that's too big to be worked on in the product backlog. And you might break it down. And some people might not want to break it down because they'll say, oh my gosh, that's going to be like 50 stories if we break it down. But understanding those different elements and being able to make choices about them is, a, is an important part of making sure you're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. This is a parallel to that in that we want to slow down the pitch or, or, or see the decision-making process occur at different levels and have conscious conversations about, is this the path we want to take? Do we think this this moving this knob this way is going to have the right kind of impact that we want to have? Let's at least stop and think for a second and talk through this instead of just making assumptions or going with one person's gut. Right. Right. And I think that is one of the key benefits. There's, there's a thing that we talk about quite a bit, um, at least at Leading Agile, which is, are, do we know or are we, are we reasonably sure that we're building the right thing? And this creates a huge problem with most of the organizations that we have um, worked with over the last few years is the problem isn't so much that they don't have the ability to build great things that solve problems and allow them to capture market share. The problem is they're building all these other things as well. In fact, there's a massive backlog of things that they should be or could be doing. And one of the things we try to focus on is, are you building the right things? And that naturally leads to the corollary, are you not building the wrong things? Because way too often, capacity within an organization is sucked up building all the things all at the same time and never actually finishing anything. And so... With impact mapping and a couple of the other tools that we teach, it's all about how do we rationalize our backlog and refine our backlog so that we're focused on building the most valuable things first and not building all those other things um, so that teams can actually focus yeah. and start getting that fe- those feedback loops working so that they are moving in the right direction. Um, and so we've also seen a huge amount of value in doing impact mapping simply for cleaning out all of the things that are in the massive wish list that every stakeholder in the organization has raised their hands and said is absolutely necessary um, for them to achieve their goals is the building of X thing. And these end up um, in our backlogs as epics or features that nobody really understands why we're doing it. But somebody asked for it, and we absolutely have to deliver it. Not only do we have to deliver it, Dave, we got to deliver it by a certain date or, or heads yeah. Well, so that's the thing I was going to ask is that it almost sounds like using a tool like this, because it's slowing down the thought process, creates a little bit of safety for people to say, you know what, that thing, uh, I know I argued for it last time, but now that we think about it, maybe we don't need that at all. Because people don't want to give up their bet on their horse because they put all the time, you know, I've been fighting for this thing for six years and now I'm going to say like, we don't need it. Like, I don't want to stop fighting for it. That seems right. weak. 
but this right. makes no, it okay to say it makes it the right thing to do to say we don't need that anymore absolutely and and there's a, there's there's a little bit more underneath what you just said it creates the space right where people will have the psychological safety to say no to things okay and eventually if you instill this as a regular practice that people are engaged in and you say hey you know every quarter we're going to get to bed get together we're going to review our epic backlog of all the big things that we thought if we did would deliver new uh new value or deliver new outcomes for the organization we're going to revisit that and we're going to just test our assumptions and we're going to test our reasoning and we're going to do it together in a shared context so that we can really be ruthless about removing things from our backlog that we just can't seem to find the value for it right now. Now, there may be value for it eventually, um, and that's why we never actually get rid of things. We're just constantly in a process of revisiting our backlog, refining it, challenging our assumptions, testing whether or not the conditions or the brain or the climate or the, or the market topology has changed enough where what looked like a crazy one-off bet, you know, six months ago now seems like an absolutely reasonable thing to invest our cash in, um, knowing that things are constantly changing, but at least having a prioritized epic backlog and using um, impact mapping to refine it will create that safety and that space where we can have these kinds of conversations so that teams, when they're thinking about what's going into their sprint planning for, for the, the, the next sprint, yeah. are reasonably sure that they're going to be working on things that actually create value. And that means that they're solving problems that are actually important to solve. And that actually has been shown to increase both engagement and um, decision-making by the team. That is, now they're focused on solving real problems. So, of course, they're going to be significantly more engaged in the process um, than they would if they were just order takers and, and, and ruthlessly stamping out widgets that some stakeholder had said was important for them to, to focus on. Yeah. So this is, I just want to say this part again, because I think this is, I mean, as you keep talking about it, it becomes even more kind of prevalent for me um, or more important for me. Um, this process is not going to guarantee that this thing that we're, I'm deciding we're going to build is the right thing to build. It's going to improve our ability to make sure that the, the thinking behind deciding what to do is more solid. So we're, we're making more conscious choices knowing that this is the thing we need to figure out next. If we should go this way or that way, this is the most important decision we can make right now. That's right. And surfacing those decisions um, and then coming to a, 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 an agreement, at least, about why things are in the order that they're in. Now, okay. this, doesn't, this doesn't mean that the product owner isn't still responsible for making a lot of those trade-off decisions and making a lot of those calls. At the end of the day, there are different kinds of decisions that need to be made by different people within the organization, and they're still responsible for making those decisions. Yeah. But this is simply a framework for creating a shared understanding of what are all of those trade-off decisions, and is there good thinking that connects the things we're going to build with the outcomes that we're trying to drive towards. All right. So we've talked a lot about how companies can use this to, to, to make, be more conscious of the choices that they're making and hopefully make better decisions. Um, I'm wondering if there's some kind of example that we could walk through, maybe something a little bit simpler 
um, that would help people get more clarity on kind of step-by-step, how does this flow? How could you drive either if, if it was an actual company kind of changing the marketplace of how the consumer is behaving or at an individual level, how a person would behave if we wanted to use it for ourselves? Like, is there some way we can make this more concrete for the folks that are listening? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the things that's really interesting is, is a tool like impact mapping can be applied to either refining your backlog within your organization about the things that you're going to build in 2020 um, and whether or not those things are actually aligned to your 2020 annual operating plan and your strategy. Um, Something that's a lot closer to home and I think a lot of people are thinking about as we enter the New Year's is New Year's resolutions, which have a, a, a wonderful thing about them in that they almost always fail. <laughs> like few like things, companies, they have a dismal success rate. <laughs> a dismal success rate. People make um, New Year's resolutions, and it's amazing what percentage of those actually um, yield any benefit whatsoever. Yeah. The, 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 the fascinating thing is when, when you're talking about impact mapping, what it allows you to do is make better trade-off decisions so that you're spending your time and effort doing the things that might actually move the needle. In the case of whether it's, it's, it's designing products um, for the marketplace or engaging in some kind of a change in your own behavior, your own lifestyle to yield different outcomes, you can apply it equally to either thing. So the example that I'm going to give, um, and and it's one that I've uh, focused quite a bit of time and energy on over the last few years, is getting healthier. Okay. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm getting a little bit older. Um, you know, and the big five O is, is staring at me. It's, it's still in the future, but I am looking at the big five O I'm looking at must age. be nice and, to be that young. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, um, Using the, using the rubric of the, of the impact map, you can do the exact same thing towards, towards making trade-off decisions that are likely to yield better outcomes. Okay. So if you start from a goal, like what is a, what is a reasonable goal to have? It, you wouldn't just say lose weight. That's not actually a goal. I want to lose 20 um, pounds. Right. That is, that is more like an intermediate outcome um, okay. that you could attach an objective and a key result for. Your objective may be to get healthier. Your key result may be losing 20 pounds. Um, But really what you want is a decreased probability of a heart attack, right? Decreased probability of a stroke. Um, Decreased probability of getting hassled about your weight by your spouse. That's that's right. Increased probability that you're going to (laughs) fit into your genes, right? And you're not going to have to replace your entire wardrobe um, every couple of years because your waistline keeps expanding. Yeah. So... um, Thinking about it from that perspective, you might say, okay, if I have the goal of, 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 of you know, decreasing my probability of a, of a major adverse health uh, uh, event, like a heart attack or a stroke, um, some intermediate outcomes that I might be driving towards is, is a weight loss of 20 pounds. Um, or if you wanted to get more precise, you might want to decrease your body fat index from 27% down to 15%. Okay. Well, um, impact mapping, but just by doing that, you might write out a couple of your, your desired outcomes might be, you know, 20%, uh, 20 pound decrease in your weight, uh, or a 10% decrease in your body fat index, whatever, whatever it might be. The next question you ask, ask is what stakeholders, what people within your environment, um, have an ability to influence that outcome. Now, certainly you are one of them, right? You're probably the primary actor, but you're not alone in this, are you? 
There's other people that have an impact on your ability to achieve that outcome. Like the what people that buy dessert. Right. <laughs> One might, the, the, exactly. <laughs> uh, it could be um, the people that bake desserts in your family. Yeah. Um, will have a, it will influence that outcome. Um, your spouse, whether it's your husband or your wife, may be an amazing cook. Um, or an amazing baker, so they'll have an influence. Um, anybody else who influences your decisions around things that will have an impact on your on your health, um, and and this really comes down to only a few things that matter. Um, one of which is your diet, and the other of which is how often you engage in some kind of rigorous um, activity, um, some kind of an exercise. Then the next thing you have to think about is what is your current behavior? What do you currently do? And what things do you need to do differently? And so that's where we would write out what are all the behavior changes that you might um, want to experiment with. Because again, none of these is a guarantee. There is no direct one-to-one causal relationship between anything, any behavior change you might want to have and a desired outcome. Everybody is different. Everybody has different genetics. Everybody has different environmental factors, all of which contribute to you achieving your outcomes. But you might write down a couple of behavior changes, which may include decreasing your caloric intake as, as one example, eating a different composition of macronutrients, uh, whether they're carbohydrates, fats, or proteins, um, one of which might be engaging in more rigorous physical activity, whether it's weightlifting or cardio or, or just getting out and walking. And then you, say, you step back from that for a second and you say, okay, what are the impediments or obstacles that are preventing me from engaging in these new behaviors? One of which might be that you don't have the right kind of support in the system around you, whether it's from a spouse or coworkers, colleagues, whatever, or family members, whatever it might be. Another might be impediments that just prevent you from engaging in some kind of, uh, of healthy lifestyle changes. So, you know, if you hate running, you're going to need to find something else to do. So maybe an impediment is that you lack a bicycle. All right, so that might be an impediment. Another one might be that you don't have easy access to healthy foods, whatever it might be. You list out all of the impediments or obstacles or problems that are preventing you from engaging in new um, behavior changes, which will lead towards different outcomes. Can I interrupt for one second? Yeah, absolutely. I want to throw in some real life stuff and see how this messes up what you're saying. Yeah. So let's say that I want to lose weight. So I'm going to the gym, um, getting like 90 minutes of cardio in a day or, or, or fat burning exercise a day. But I also, when I'm watching TV at night, like to have some ruffles, a bowl of ruffles while I'm watching TV. And I can say, well, okay, I shouldn't eat ruffles because that's going to add fat to the diet, especially before bed. So replace them with carrots. So we'll just eat carrots. So I'll go to the store and I'll buy carrots, but I'm not eating the goddamn carrots. I'm going to go for the ruffles. <laughs> but I'm going to write on that board, I'm going to eat carrots. Right. Companies assume that we all assume we're going to exhibit better behavior than we do. That's right. Okay. And one of the things that you want to do is you know that you're going to engage in that, right? Yeah. Chances are. I don't want to so admit the, it. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the first step is actually visualizing all these things. Okay. And then what you have is you can have a, a good conversation about what are all the things you're going to do, actions you're going to take that are going to overcome those impediments that will allow for different uh, behaviors to take, to take place. Okay. So you're intentionally moving from the things that you're going to do to overcome those problems or remove those impediments that allow for you to engage in the behavior changes 
so that you can realize different outcomes. And the the two things that we've really neglected to have a conversation about so far, at least in the last you know 20 or 30 minutes, is um, it requires, impact mapping requires that you put in place decent feedback loops so okay. that you're actually seeing whether the things that you build um, removes the impediments that causes the behavior change or not, right? So you need to be able to measure the efficacy and have the proper feedback loops in place so that you know whether or not those things that you did actually led to different outcomes. And okay. maybe it would be helpful to have a regular cadence where you get together. Now, in the case of the health uh, uh, example we were talking about, yeah. is wouldn't it be nice if every couple of weeks you looked back over all the things that you did and tried to draw a connection between whether those things had a positive or a negative outcome, uh, impact on you, on, on you achieving your goal. Okay. And I think at least taking note of that allows you to make better decisions because some of the things will become blatantly obvious, which is eating ruffles while watching TV is not going to allow you to reach your desired outcomes. They just won't. Right. But that doesn't mean you're not supposed to do that, right? It, the, the, the impact maps are completely neutral in the trade-off decisions you make. But what they do do is allow you to make those connections. And then once you put feedback mechanisms back in place, as well as effective measures about how you're going to see whether or not the things you're doing is actually changing your outcomes, is to uh, determine upfront what are your measures for success or failure. And you want to probably associate those with your desired outcomes and your goal. So are we then, is this going to be teaching us that maybe the metrics that we think we should be looking at aren't really the right metrics to be looking at? Right. Because maybe what you don't care about is your weight today. Now, this okay. is going to sound crazy. What you care about is the relative change in your your weight over the last couple of weeks since you started on this new program. Are you doing a little bit better or are you doing a little bit worse? Okay. And then imagine applying the same kind of mindset, the same kind of agile mindset of inspect and adapt to your health as you would apply towards building new things to solve new problems for customers to, that move the needle of, uh, of, of your, your revenue uh, within your organization. It's the exact same kind of mindset, but you're applying it to your health and your choices around what you're going to consume and how you're going to expend those calories on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And that you're spending some amount of time every couple of weeks stopping and reflecting upon those choices that you made and whether or not they drove you towards your desired outcomes or not. And did that desired outcome change? Because maybe I'm meeting the thing, but it's causing a problem to shift into some other aspect of what we're doing. Absolutely. Like you may find yourself, you are totally losing weight. I'm eating carrots and it's making me depressed. you're You're eating carrots. You're losing weight. You look great, but nobody wants to hang out with you anymore because you're completely antisocial. Because no, I'm miserable because I'm eating right. carrots. Exactly. Carrots of but sadness. It, <laughs> <laughs> so these, the, 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 the great thing about these frameworks and these methods is they are only as good as your use of them is, right? And they're only there to help inform better decision-making, but they're not going to make the better decisions for you. Okay. And we, but, but even by becoming more conscious of how we're, how we're thinking through these things, how we're making choices, um, we become better stewards of whatever we're working on. Right. And I think 
one thing that I really like about these, um, more so than some of the other tools, is that it really focuses in on if you want different outcomes, you're going to need to take different actions. Yeah. And if you're going to take different actions, that means engaging in a change in behavior. And usually the reason why people aren't engaged in a new behavior that will drive towards different outcomes is because of some impediment. And this allows you to think about that. And then when you're choosing what things to build or what actions to take, you can do so intentionally with the purpose of removing an impediment to create a new behavioral change to take a new action that leads to different outcomes. And then you're regularly reflecting on whether or not that is working for you or not. Yeah. And if it's not, you you know what? No harm, no foul. Try something else. <laughs> yeah. Cool. You know, so it opens up possibilities for you. So it's at the end of the day, you may have depressing carrots, but this is an optimistic tool. It says that, <laughs> you know what? Things can get better for you, that you do have some control over it. Yeah. That you're not just an order taker, that you have choices to make. And in fact, you're responsible for making those choices. Yeah. And if it was a bad choice, then yeah, okay, make a different one. That's right. You know what? I had two ice cream sundaes last night. Now, do I feel bad about that? I know it's amazing, right? <laughs> I had two ice cream sundaes, and these were full-on day. This was. I, I hope had, you're proud of yourself. I, I really. Proud. <laughs> I had the brownie. I had two scoops of ice cream, one scoop of vanilla, one scoop of chocolate. Then I had the chocolate, the melted hot chocolate fudge on top of that. Then I had whipped cream, and then I added a couple of pieces of fruit just to make it look pretty, right? Man. I had both of those. Did I wake up feeling horrible and 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 guilty and filled with shame this morning? I did not. I felt proud because you know what? I made those decisions consciously, night, consciously, yeah. and you know what? I woke up this morning with renewed desire to get my butt back into the gym to work out, knowing that it's totally fine that I made those decisions yesterday. Today, I'm going to work a little bit harder at working it off, right? Yeah. Building some more muscle. And you know what? Today's a new day. And I have new choices to make. That's awesome. And, 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 and so I see this as just another tool in the toolkit. This just so happens to be really extensible and offers a lot, but it's not going to make those, those decisions for you. Right. And it's not going to um, solve some of the other issues within organizations, um, such as you know building things to an arbitrary date by arbitrary stakeholders that never actually think about you know, what problems are you solving them for whom. Yeah. You know, you're still going to have challenges within organizations, but this at least makes it manageable what your backlog is, what your future commitments are, and what things you're actually going to try to build to solve problems to deliver different outcomes for your customers and as well as for your business. Wow. This was great, man. Um, <laughs> if people it was, want it was a fun first first conversation yeah. about these things. Yeah, it went good. Um, so if people want to learn more about this, what's the best way to reach you? So the best way to reach me is um, on Twitter, at okay. Semantic Will. Um, you can always reach out to me at my, my Leading Agile email address, which is okay. will.evans at leadingagile.com. All right. And I'll have, I'll have links to that stuff in the show notes. Um, do you have any, any sources that you recommend people turn to? if they want to read up on this? Well, I think the first and probably the most valuable thing um, to, to review and to, to think about um, is there's an explainer video called The Art of Impact Mapping. It's only five minutes long. It's really solid. And, okay. and it shows 
tactically, how to use impact maps to drive different outcomes. Cool. And I would say start there. Okay. Well, I'll make sure to include a link to it in the, in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Then the next thing to start thinking about is what kind of behavioral change do you actually want to elicit in your customers? And, and the best way to start to understand that, um, because human behavior is complex, it's multivariate, it's difficult to understand, um, is uh, the book Nudge by Caldini. Okay. It's really good. And it, and it kind of starts, um, it's, it's a high-level overview of behavioral economics and how people make choices under conditions of scarcity. And the impact that subconscious um, inherent biases are in our decision making. Wow. Well, that's going to have to be another podcast <laughs> where we dive into the behavioral economics and choice architectures of, of customers and why they choose to do some things over other things, which is, I think, a really fascinating topic to cover. All right. Well, that one will be in the future, but this was great. Th thank you very much for doing this, man. Well, thank you so much, Dave, for your time. I really appreciated it. And thank you again for the product owner class because that was oh, I appreciate I really it. I such a great time. <laughs> so for those of you that are listening, Will took the, the PO class and helped me teach half of it. So it was great having you there. I really appreciate all your assistance in there. Um, cool. So that's it, everybody. Thanks for listening. Um, and Will, thank you for your time. Yeah. And happy new year to you, Dave. Happy new year. <laughs> all right. Bye-bye.